Amen. Thanks for saying. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Lo- lovely to be with you. I genuinely mean that. Um, just lovely kind of sense of welcome and, and, and family uh, and sense of God's presence with us. Uh, I told my, my youngest son, this, or sorry, my eldest son this morning, uh, where I was going. He said, where are, you, where are you speaking this morning? We said, what church are you going to this morning? I said, I'm going to Rich Hill. And he just laughed, chuckled. So I don't know if that happens a lot. When you mentioned Rich Hill, he was chuckling over his breakfast himself. And I said, what's so funny about that, son? And he said, it's just, you're, you're Rick Hill and you're going to Rich Hill, you know? <laughs> he just found it really funny. So he says, he said, maybe, he genuinely said, he said, maybe you should take over that church. <laughs> I said, uh, one, one step at a time, son, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm joking, obviously. Uh, but uh, I know you've been reading some of uh, my words over the last year, or some of you have been. And, and uh, I also met someone recently who'd been reading my book this year and said, oh, you're a lot younger than I thought, and I didn't really know how to take that. I thought it was a compliment in one way, and then maybe not in another way, so who knows. Um, but uh, this is me this morning, and uh, it's lovely to be sharing with you. I'm not going to talk about resilient discipleship at all, okay, because I think you might have enough of that, or have had enough of that. But we're going to open God's Word together. Um, I'm really going to think about this theme, I think, if this works, of what I've called divine disruption. More words beginning with D, but uh, divine disruption uh, we're going to see that in a couple of different places in the book of Acts, um, kind of early on in the book of Acts. We're going to read from Acts 1, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, and then I'm going to skip several chapters later to Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. And maybe you might notice it as I read, but I think Acts 1, 8, well, it is a key verse in the whole of Acts, okay? Acts 1, verse 8 is a key verse in the book of Acts, but actually Acts 8, verse 1, if you have a mind that likes numbers and and likes parallels and symmetry, Acts 8, verse 1 is a really important verse in the book of Acts as well. And actually, I think there are links in these two verses, Acts 1, 8 and Acts 8, 1. And we're going to see that together this morning, and I'm going to think about divine disruption and what that might mean in our lives, maybe as a church community as well um, as we go. So this is God's Word, Acts chapter 1, verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Acts chapter 8 verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us and how he speaks to us through it. Um, I, I'm not sure. Divine disruption, 
okay? I, I, there's, there's perhaps a temptation or a mistake that we might make as 21st century Christians who generally maybe live in fairly comfortable, nice cultures. Uh, there's maybe a temptation that we just assume that following Jesus is, is going to be smooth and it's going to be easy and it's going to be convenient. And that actually that Jesus is going to open all the doors for us and that whatever he invites us to, that we're going to walk straight into it. We're going to receive blessings and gifts from him and that that will give us a really nice and comfortable life. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the essay called Welcome to Holland. Has anyone ever heard this? Okay, Welcome to Holland. No, a few shakes the head. Good. Um, because it was written in, it was a poem that was written in 1987 by a lady called Emily Kingsley. And it was to describe her experience of raising a child with a disability. And that might sound like a really strange way to begin a sermon, but I'm going to read it to you now, or at least part of it to you now. And hopefully its relevance will become clear as you hear it. And its relevance to these disciples will become clear too. This is the essay. It says this, when you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and make your wonderful plans. The Colosseum, the Michelangelo David, the gondolas in Venice. You learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands. The stewardess comes and says, welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean, Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life I've dreamt of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland and there you must stay. They haven't taken you to some horrible, disgusting, filthy place. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy a new guidebook. And you must learn a whole new language. And you will meet a whole new group of people you would never have met. It's a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while and you catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills, tulips, and Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy. And they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. The pain of that will never, ever go away because the loss of that dream is a very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. I'm not sure if you've heard that before, but I found it really moving when I heard it for the first time last year. And I also found it at the time really perhaps quite relevant maybe to the times that we were living in, where at times our expectations of life didn't totally match up the reality over the last couple of years. And maybe that summarizes your experience in the last couple of years as well. But maybe on a more deeper level, perhaps it speaks to how in life perhaps your reality hasn't always lined up to the expectations that you've had for it. Maybe you thought you signed up for Italy, but you feel like you've ended up somehow in Holland. So what now, if that's true? 
in a way, I think the disciples, Jesus' disciples, might have felt something similar in the aftermath of the resurrection. They had witnessed amazing miracles and healings. I mean, can you imagine being in that mission journey for three years, that ministry journey? They had received incredible teaching firsthand from Jesus. They had joined him in mission. They'd enjoyed this front row seat to the Savior of the world in action. And, and, and it must have been incredible for them to have, have thought, their, their minds have thought, what is, what is going to happen next? Where are we going to go? Where is this going to lead? But Jesus obviously is crucified, not in their plan, not in their expectations. He, he dies. He is buried. The resurrection wasn't part of their um, expectation, I guess, as well. But then at this point, at the start of Acts chapter 1, we find them, and probably there's a whole mix. In fact, Matthew's, Matthew's version of the Great Commission and, and the end of Matthew's gospel, the end of Matthew 28, tells us that some disciples were worshiping Jesus and some disciples were filled with doubt. So that's where we find them here at the start of Acts. Some of them enthralled in worship at the risen Jesus, and some of them, their worship was mingled with doubt. That's where they were. And Jesus then puts the task of his mission into their hands. So not, you know, I'm going to carry on and we're going to get back to normal and do everything that we've just been doing for the last three years, but there's going to be a change. And the mission that I have been showing you and leading into, I'm going to put into your hands now, and it's your time to be my witnesses. And then he ascends to heaven, and this wouldn't have been the picture that they would have had in their mind. Maybe they thought they'd signed up for Italy, and they'd ended up in Holland. But just, a few, just within a few chapters, the next few chapters, the story rolls on and the church grows and expands. And they see amazing things happen, amazing miracles. There's growth in the church. Again, it would have been an incredible time to be following Jesus and leading within his brand new church. But persecution breaks out. And scatters the believers again. This difficulty, this disruption, this scattering, this persecution, this death to one of their prominent leaders had come. And this wouldn't have been a picture in their mind. They had experienced Italy. Maybe they'd felt abandoned in Holland. Yeah, what I want us to see this morning is how this disruption that came was no barrier to the, working, the outworkings of the kingdom of God. So how would they move on from here? So today I've read two incidents. One incident is the sending of the disciples. The second incident, a few chapters later, is the scattering of the church. And I want to think about them both with you this morning through the lens of divine disruption and consider how Jesus was actually stirring his disciples and shaking his church to expand his kingdom. And so I want to talk this morning about expansion and then a little bit later we're going to think about disruption. Expansion, that's what Jesus was saying here, you will receive power so there's going to be a, a power source, there's going to be a companion with you for this difficult task, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
This is a, an expanding commission from Jesus. Jesus was also expanding their vision to help them understand that his kingdom wouldn't just unfold in their tiny little region. Did you hear that in their question of Jesus? Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They have this little territorial mindset. They're thinking, where, Jesus, when are you going to develop and expand your kingdom here where we are? And Jesus comes along and, and doesn't, doesn't just stroke their political allegiance, but he gives them a new and a different vision. He expands their vision. They were thinking with a territorial and an almost a, maybe a nationalistic feel. And there's such a danger, by the way, that followers of Jesus can get caught up and swept up in that. But Jesus was expanding their vision to help them see that, yes, the kingdom would come in their own place, but also it would unfold in the whole of Judea, their kind of region, then to their neighbors in Samaria, and that would have particularly blown their mind, and then to the ends of the earth. And just think about Jesus' audience for a moment. It's quite likely that none of these people who he was speaking to had ever been outside their own country. None of them owned passports. They weren't seasoned travelers, you know, they weren't on TripAdvisor, you know, just sharing all their updates. No, Jesus was telling them that they would be involved. These people would be involved in spreading his mission to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus was taking them wider than they ever could have imagined. And I hinted earlier, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 for me is the key to the whole book of Acts. Because in one single verse, it reveals the journey that is about to be taken through the rest of the book. Acts is almost perfectly divided up into sections that show the expanding of the gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, um, maybe you've seen this before, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, the story takes place in Jerusalem. Mostly, Peter preaches to a crowd. He and John meet a lame man at the temple gate. The apostles are brought before the religious leaders. They organize a church. Stephen becomes the first martyr, all in the context of Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it tells us the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples greatly multiplied in Jerusalem. It's a local story. The gospel starts where we, where they are. The gospel starts, mission starts where we are. And I know as a church family and as a church community, you get that. It's part of your DNA. It's part of your story. The gospel and mission is a local story. And for the disciples here in Jerusalem, it's all going pretty well. But right at the start of Acts 8, as we've read, there's suddenly a dramatic occurrence that takes place. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions in Judea and Samaria. So difficulty and persecution actually scatter the church. It's almost like, and I don't know about this, but it's almost like the disciples hadn't fully done what Jesus had asked them to do yet. It spread it within Jerusalem, and they'd done that really well. But actually, it needed disruption for the plan to unfold and for the commission to develop. And so, the story now shifts then in the next few chapters to beyond Jerusalem to the spreading of the gospel in Judea and Samaria. And only a few verses later, 
I think by verse 5 in Acts chapter 8, we find Philip proclaiming Christ in Samaria. Many Samaritans believe in Jesus, and immediately the apostles move throughout the villages throughout Judea, and by the end of the chapter, Philip is baptizing a royal official from Ethiopia (laughs) within a chapter. Within a few verses, he's in Samaria. By the end of the chapter, there's an African who is being baptized. And this is the unfolding story of Acts. It goes to a road in Damascus and Syria. Ultimately, it moves through modern-day Greece, the entire Roman Empire, and it ends in Rome itself by the end of the book. This is the unfolding story of God's unstoppable mission from Jerusalem before expansion into the entire region. And it encompasses their local neighbors, their nearby enemies, who might have been considered too hard to reach by the disciples. And it goes to the end of the earth. This is an outward moving mission. It's unstoppable. And you know what I've heard last two years? Oh, the church is in trouble after COVID. <laughs> you know, I've heard, oh, you know, how on earth could the church recover? And you know, at times, maybe even in my more discouraged moments, I've asked questions like that to myself. There's been seminars and webinars and podcasts and all sorts of stuff, and I've been involved in some of them, <laughs> asking the question, how on earth could the church recover after all this? After a pandemic, how on earth could we restore mission? And I smile at times. (laughs) Because as we try to work that out ourselves, and we need help to do that, of course, God has an unstoppable mission. He's a missional God. And our job is to get on board and get in line and join Him in His already unfolding mission. You see, kingdom growth isn't some kind of ambitious fleshly desire coming from human nature. It's from the very heart of God who wants the world to know his name. And I would love us to see this morning that while mission takes on a local story, and you get this more than most, I also want you to see that there are no boundaries, no barriers, or no borders to God's mission. There is nowhere that's off limits There's nowhere beyond his reach. How do we know that? Psalm 24 tells us that the whole earth belongs to the Lord and everything in it. The whole earth. Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper said there's not one square inch of existence that where where the sovereign God does not cry, mine. Everything belongs to him. Everything. There's nowhere off limits. And I think... As I think about expansion, I think of my friends Stuart and Abby. Stuart did a year-long apprenticeship in a church in London after university. And, and Abby was in the final year of her degree. They got engaged. They were planning to be married. And they were invited to consider going to Malaysia for a year, a gap year, to be part of a team who were planting a church in Kuala Lumpur. Fast forward nine years, and they are both still living there. They're leading significant aspects of a flourishing and growing church there. Stuart now heads up the the Worship Central movement across the whole of Southeast Asia, and they are both going through the process to become Anglican ministers there. They both grew up and met each other in a tiny little Baptist church in Balamina. (laughs) 
It wasn't in their plan. It wasn't in their career plan, but they got swept up in the story of God, and He moved them. He expanded their vision. And then there's Caitlin. Caitlin, who goes on a mission team to Africa 10 years ago and falls in love, not always recommended on a mission trip, by the way. Um, she, she falls in love not just with the area she visited, but with the pastor's son. And after a second visit later that year, they establish a relationship. That's the wise part. And fast forward a decade, Caitlin and Roy are now happily married and living together in Uganda. Caitlin is the principal of a newly established nursery school there just outside Kampala. And her family back home have been able to establish an incredible fundraising arm to their ministry. It wasn't in her plan. You know, the vision God has for your life is not restricted by borders or boundaries or barriers. God could take us anywhere because the kingdom, his kingdom goes wide and he has no limits. And you know, I know that that might feel difficult for some of you to believe right now. As you sit here, you're thinking, well, Rick, you've no idea of how small or ordinary or insignificant my life is or feels. You've no idea of the current circumstances that I'm walking through. You might feel that your time of being useful to God has passed, but it's important to not limit your vision to what you see now, that you miss what God could do in you and through you. And I don't want you in those stories that I shared, or even in this kind of passage, to just get bound up by geography. You know, that that actually the mission of God is just about going to a specific place. I wonder how God could begin to use us to expand His kingdom in the places where you already find yourself, but perhaps in new ways. If the call is to start where we are, how might He want to use us in our homes or in our neighborhood or in our families? or in our workplaces, or even in this church. Jesus wants to equip and empower every single one of his people to be his witnesses wherever we find ourselves. That was the whole idea of this verse. It wasn't just a geographical location. It was basically God saying, anywhere and everywhere, you're to be on mission. Anywhere and everywhere. The location is not limited, or should not limit you. So can we, or can we ask God, or invite God to expand our vision from where we see it now? or where it is now, to where and how God might want to lead us in the future. But secondly, this morning, I'd love us to see the disruption in this story. I've hinted at it already. The divine disruption that happens through these events and circumstances that leads to the unfolding mission of God. You see, I wonder what the disciples had in mind when Jesus told them that they would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. After 3,000 people come to faith in the very first sermon, okay, they must have thought they were part of something kind of amazing, and success would follow them wherever they went, right? Maybe they imagined this kind of upward, steady, upward um, curve of growth. You know, when I've been to church planting conferences, you know, and I've been to church planting conferences that basically tell you, this is how you grow your church, okay? This is how you add another 500 in the next year. If you do these things, okay? And these, these disciples probably had this upward steady curve of growth in mind. And 
maybe they had in mind these exciting mission trips that they were going to get to, to go on abroad as well. They were going to get to go to Judea and to the ends of the earth. Maybe they, you know, they were thinking, my Instagram is going to be really good with loads of photos of exciting places. We're going to get loads of city breaks with this, uh, with this gig. But the spreading of the gospel was in no way straightforward. It wasn't a graph with a nice straight line of growth, and it wasn't an easy ride. It was actually a journey that was just filled with disruption and difficulty and darkness, persecution from their enemies. But the persecution that comes from their enemies scatter the believers, and this becomes the very way that new people in new places actually hear the gospel. Um, recently, I've been teaching our eldest son, Noah, to play drafts, and uh, he's a bit like his dad, and he doesn't like losing, okay? So, to encourage him, I'm a good dad, it's Father's Day and all that, you know, at times I deliberately move one of my pieces into a place where he can take, take it, you know, and he, he thinks he's got one over on me, and he's smirking away to himself, and he's taking my piece, and that's great, and he captures it. Confession is good for the soul, and so in my competitive and less kind moments as a dad when I'm playing that game, sometimes I make it look to Noah that I'm letting him take one of my pieces, and I move it forward, and I can see his eyes light up, and he jumps over it, only for me to take two of his pieces back, you know. I'd planned it out, and I'd done it that way, and the shock and horror in his face is priceless. I'm just using it as a teaching moment, you know, just to help him improve, to teach him some strategy. But you see, in a game of drafts, sometimes you need to give something away in order to move forward. In a game of drafts, what appears to be a loss can be turned into victory. And it's a constant theme of the Bible. A constant theme of the Bible is that what appears to be lost, God can turn into victory. So Abraham asked to sacrifice his one and only son, and yet he becomes a father to the nations. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Joseph is thrown into a pit and a prison, and he ends up ruling in a palace. Gideon downsizes his army only for that tiny little number to def defeat the whole might of Midian. David has to remove the armor yet has helped to defeat Goliath. And the sting of Good Friday is trumped by the triumph of Resurrection Sunday. You see, what appears to be lost, God can turn into victory. And as we read the story of Acts, we see the church suffer significant loss. They're hounded by the authorities to stop speaking about Jesus publicly. Key leaders are removed. Some are imprisoned. Some are displaced. The actions of Peter are heavily criticized because of who he associated with and the death of Stephen and the scattering of the church. Disruption, loss, opposition, death, persecution. How on earth is the church going to recover from that? You know, there's been so much loss over the past couple of years, so much disruption. And not all of the circumstances of the early church can just map on to our circumstances today, of course, but I'm sure we can empathize with disruption, being disrupted, feeling disrupted, having plans canceled, having plans changed, having ideas or vision just stopped, whether it's corporately or individually. But what if, what if the circumstances that you have walked through in your life in general or perhaps more recently, 
have actually created the very conditions for your faith to be strengthened and for resilience to grow in your discipleship. There's the word, threw it in. You see, in all the disruption and loss, what if that which has been a loss in your life can be turned into a victory or a doorway in your faith? Because in the story of God, sacrifice and loss is often the doorway to moving forward in faith. Maybe after a time of disruption and loss, you've realized that you have been held by God and you're still following Him. Maybe you've learned more about relying on Him than you have before. Maybe you've found that whenever so much has been stripped away, that the community of the church is still a priority for you or a key um, joy for you. Perhaps you've been, you've had space created to prioritize spiritual habits and rhythms in a new way. The difficult circumstances we walk through often create the conditions for our faith to be strengthened if we allow it. What appears to be lost, God can turn into victory. And that was, that might be hard for you to see right now. I appreciate that. But as we see the story of Acts, we see that that was their story. We read in Acts 8 verse 4 that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And I love that it's lined by commentator Matthew Henry. He says, the enemy is designed to scatter and lose them, but Christ designed to scatter and use them. You see, the very same strategy that was designed to destroy the church actually became the very strategy that God used to spread the gospel. It's amazing. What was it Joseph said to his brothers? What you intended for evil, God turned it for good. And maybe in faith, that might be something that we bring to God and we invite him and ask him to do in our disruption, whether it's in the past, the present, or uh, in the disruption or difficulty that might lie ahead for us. You know, disruption can be a catalyst for growth if we let it. Please see today, through Acts and the story of Acts, that you are not left on your own. The disciples were left and promised a powerful companion who would lead them wider in their mission. Do not admit that or ignore that or gloss over that. We have been given a companion to help us in life, but to empower us in our mission. And you know, as followers of Jesus, you will not always be clear about your future location. In fact, you can't be. We can't be. The future for us is often so uncertain or unclear or unknown. But can I ask you this morning, not what is your future location, but what is your current direction? Not what is your future location. Don't be obsessed with that, but consider and ask what is your current direction? What is the direction of your life? Not your destination, but your direction. Because while you don't, we won't know where we're going, the direction of our lives will determine our future destination. You see, Jesus wants to equip and empower every single one of us. Every single one of us. You know, I meet many young Christians particularly who are obsessed about, you know, God's will and what that career is going to be for their life. And that's an important thing to consider at certain points of life. But not what's your destination. What's your direction? Because your direction will determine your destination. Jesus led his disciples beyond their boundaries. He expanded their vision. It wasn't part of their plan. 
but he used disruption to catalyze their mission. The kingdom of God has no borders, no boundaries, and no barriers. So I have just a couple of questions I'd love to leave with you this morning for you to consider today, this week, maybe. Write them down or you can remember them and think about them. Discuss around the kitchen table and in the car on the way home rather than rate the preacher out of 10. Um, expansion. How could God, how does God, how might God want to expand your vision of how he could use you right now? How could God expand your vision of how he could use you right now? And disruption. Maybe you might consider some disruption that you have faced either corporately or individually. And maybe you begin to turn that question. How could God use this disruption that I have faced or experienced to actually strengthen my faith? Maybe you might want to reflect on that. Because this is the story of the early church in Acts 8. But it could be the story of our lives as well. I have a little video. I don't know if this will work but um, didn't test it or anything. Lovely little video just to sort of symbolize some of what I've been talking about um, this morning. And then I'll come and pray for us before we sing again. children of God, we get to be part of God's unstoppable mission. That's the invitation this morning. And let me pray, and then we'll sing together. Jesus, we thank you that what you call us to isn't some kind of human task. But as we swept up into a story that is far bigger than us, we thank you for the heart of God that seeks to share his love with the whole world. We thank you that, God, you aren't just a, a God for a specific time or a certain type of person. But God, your heart is for the whole of humanity. And so I pray that we would reflect that in how we live our lives.
for how we treat other people who come along our path, but also what we give our time and energy and resources to. I pray that you would expand our vision where we need it right now. I pray for people who right now in this room who doubt or whose worship is mingled with doubt this morning, who doubt whether they could be useful to you. I pray you would expand their vision of what they see now. Speak into their lives. God, speak purpose and passion. Give clarity and direction. I pray that those of us who are experiencing disruption or have experienced disruption in our life and even in our faith, God, I pray that you would use that to strengthen for what the enemy designed for evil, God, I pray you would turn it for good in each of their lives. And we just say once again, we give ourselves to, to you, all we are and have and ever hope to be. We surrender to you, Jesus, to your ways, your will, your plans. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.